0: Five kilos. You know that birth chart that you know that you get when the baby's born. Mine had two sta- paper staple staples to it. <laughs> Extension. I was literally off the charts, guys. <laughs> uh, it was not until I was seventeen when I realized uh, when I found out that I was suffering from a severe hormonal imbalance as a result of polycystic ovarian syndrome. So it all made sense now. But that wasn't going to stop all the bullying that started when I was in nursery and extended through many years of my life from circles within and those without. Take, for example, the intimate circles of a community that believe that fat girls should focus on school and careers because, you know, that's all they'll have going for them anyway. You know, woe be unto you if you think of love and white picket fences. It wasn't going to get any easier. When I was 11, I went through a traumatizing divorce. You see, my parents' um, rocky marriage had finally come to an end. This divorce made me a mother of three, my siblings. My mother forced custody on my dad, so hardest thing a mother would need to do, because at that point, my dad was the financially stable one in the relationship, so it was the Made, made sense. So I bathed them, I set out their breakfast, combed their hair, send them off to school, you know, set all the house chores in order and then have my breakfast, get ready for school and off. I was That was a typical day for me at 11. Um, I don't know if it was this new responsibility or my mature age of 12 <laughs> or that I was a strong independent preteen, that a delegation of so-called community leaders were sent to give me a scolding. Apparently, I did not play my daughter, you know, elder child, first daughter role in the divorce of my parents. I should have involved myself in their war and resolved their conflict, but instead, I chose to cowardly sit on the sidelines and watch, you know, in fear. This was a notion I believed for too many years. So many years until a few months preceding June 2017, when I lost my dad to pancreatic cancer. My mother, his ex-wife, for 20 years at this point, had taken him for treatment abroad, had been by his side throughout the cancer, had turned her home, her sitting room into a hospital where we his four kids and her spent the last few months of his life you know attending to his last wishes, and where his lifeless body left for his final resting place and it was then and only then that I realized Najda. This wasn't your fault. It was never your fault. You see, I witnessed for the first time two people who could never be married to each other, never worked out, but I, I witnessed them experiencing and displaying humanity, love, and respect at, oh, at a colossal level. They co-parented two decades ago when the notion was non-existent. So fast forward to my marriage. I, after my A-levels, during my A-levels and after, I worked for a local NGO that my mom set up, and uh, provided legal aid and financial services for women who could not afford it. I mean, (laughs) in dysfunctional families, who has the privilege for higher education? So, off to a start was my career for the next few years in social uh, justice and women empowerment. And I met my husband through my mom, who was introduced to her by a friend from an organization that we partnered with. Hey, Nazleen, <laughs> you know, I know this rivet to Islam. He's, um, he's been volunteering with the organization for quite a while now. I know Naj- he's looking to get married. I know Naj is a single, what do you think? So my mom talks to him for a while, and after she realizes, hey, this could work, she raises the idea to me. And I'm like, well, what the heck? You know, I'll talk to him after all the many options of <laughs> I have. I'm just going to have to settle for this six-foot, blonde-haired, blue-eyed foreigner. You know, I'm just going to have to settle. <laughs> so we speak, and three years later, we're married. And um, at my nikah, you know, the, the marriage, and, you know, he there was a some point uh, of the nikah where I what was a typically noisy wedding turned silent and I I got so scared I grab a hold of my mom's hand and I say "Ma, what's happening and she tells me (laughs) she grins and she says I'm gonna tell you later he's here and I realize that this is the first time the room had seen who this fat girl just married and It hits me now that that, that moment, that one small moment is the reason I married that man. I needed to make a point. So in your face, bitches. Mm -hmm. He had to travel back for work. And I get a call one day and he says, I need to speak to you. It's urgent. Can you get somewhere private? So I'm super excited because this means that we know I'm thinking, and paperwork's ready and I'm going to soon be with my dream husband. I get in the car, drive to Java Gigiri, turn on my computer, yay, he's waiting, he's on Skype. And I'm like, um, so he's like, hey babe, I missed you, how have you been? I'm good, what's up? I ask him. And he says, you know, I've got a calling. If I tell you to pack, I don't expect you to ask me where we're going and why. So you guys have to realize, at this point I'm like, I'm not shocked or anything, I'm super excited because what else could this mean apart from... Paperworks done. I'm traveling (laughs) So he says I say, okay, what do you talk about B? And he says well, I have a calling It's a responsibility to me. It's a responsibility to everyone I've decided to go fight the holy war (sighs) Yeah (laughs) so a piece of me died that day I Did not tell a soul. I was conflicted with a million questions and a million thoughts. How could I? You know? What's happening? Is he crazy? Wait, am I crazy? I'm his wife. I mean, you know, he's asked me to keep this a secret, not to tell anyone. Couples have secrets, right? I mean, I'm not gonna start telling on 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 us. I'll deal with this, I'll handle it. Or, I mean, is anyone even going to believe me? You know, if I tell anyone, he's going to leave me. So the next few months were the highest highs and the lowest lows. From me trying to look, from me getting a delegation of scholars and prominent respectable people in the community to talk to him and tell him this is not the right thing to do, to him questioning me as a wife, you know, I told, like, what's my worth now? I'm this horrible wife. I'm this horrible Muslim, maybe. You know, I've lost his the love in his eyes. Maybe I've lost God's favor as well. I It was, like I said, the highest highs and the lowest lows. But then he'd flip. He'd say, I'm so sorry, Najd. I don't know what I was thinking. This was so wrong. I was misguided. You know, let's just pretend this never happened. To... What the hell? You know, how did you make me change my mind? What kind of a wife does that? What kind of a Muslim does that? Why did you do why did you make me change my mind to, I'm so sorry, I don't know what's happening. I shouldn't I don't I don't know why I'm doing this to you. And then okay, so he finally has to travel back because, you know, this this has been like last crazy last few months. So I met a man at the airport that day. But that was not my husband. He stayed in Kenya quite long this time. And things escalated from uh, this television is a unnecessary privilege. We're selling it. Uh, we fought, he won. Okay, to, oh my God, I brought you a gift and uh, let's put it on. And it was an Afghani niqab, you know, the one that covers your face. And I. You look so beautiful. You look so much more beautiful now. Now, you know, I want to have two sons and a daughter. And as soon as our sons are out of their child's skin, they're going to wherever the world needs them. And our daughter will be married at her first period. And he was so excited. So we fought. I thought I'd change his mind. He won. Like I said, it escalated. So now he was making love even more violently. It was painful. It's passion, I told myself. You know, he's been away for long. It's okay. I can't be the only woman going through this. It's fine. But then what were these things that he was doing at very intimate moments when we were together? He'd say things like, you know, you're only beautiful to me. Or, "Ah, need your job. You'll be with me soon, you know? And I'm gonna take care of everything financially. Or, "Ah, I don't know, why do you need your car? I don't, like the, I, like, I don't like that you're moving around too much. Sell it. You're going to be with me soon anyway. You don't need your family. Anyway, you're going to be leaving us soon. So, you know, you're going to be leaving here soon. So you need me. You only need me. Mental abuse is real. And I told myself that this is normal. This is what women go through. We just maybe don't talk about it too much. I'm strong. I'll get over this but my subconscious mind had other things in, pl- in mind. What he was doing, it was working. So I just became detached when he was not around. I didn't know love or, you know, I didn't know anything, affection from anyone. I was alone. I became a ghost in my own life. And he traveled back and we were on, you know, the usual Skype calls, hey, what's happening? But this one was different again, because as fate would have it, he's changed his mind again, made another flip. And we were arguing about how I was wrong and how he was right. And my mother on the other side of the door overheard the conversation. And she walks in, looks, comes straight in front of the camera, and says, greets him and says, issue, I mean, utter the words of divorce to my daughter now. Go do what you want to do, but you're going to leave her out of it. And I'm on the other side screaming and crying. What are you talking about? No, this is my issue. This is my husband. I'm going to handle this. You know, I'm going to be fine. But she's been listening to it for a while, and this has been a secret to her for too long now. And she repeats what she had to say to him. He disconnects the call. We get into a huge argument, and I'm screaming, and I'm crying, and I'm afraid. Like, what did you just do? And my phone beeps, and the email for divorce has been sent. Okay. So, my mom, God bless us all, not long after the divorce, she holds me tightly one day and she says, We need to do this. And she shovels me into the car and off to the DCI's office we went. And I was about to do the most horrific thing. I was the horrible wife was about to tell on her husband. So, we get to DCI's office, we do due diligence is done, and he sends us to the deputy IG's office. She was a lady then, and she listened to my story. She was extremely compassionate as my statement was being taken. I walked out of there ashamed at myself, and horrified at myself for doing what no wife should should do, you know, for her husband. And uh, I spiraled, you know, I spiraled and I hit rock bottom. And rock bottom and I came really became really good friends. I got extremely comfortable there i was i w- i disconnected myself from my friends I would cover myself and I'd cover my face and I'd just i i mean I was I'm done you know I'm just going to end up this lonely old successful woman like everyone predicted <laughs> and I'd die that way that was that was it I'd accepted that i mean I'd meet 2 i meet I'd meet people randomly in a mall, for example, two years after the divorce, and they'd ask me, how's everything going? How is he? Why are you still here? And I'm like, ah, everything's going fine. The paperwork's taken too long. You know, but I miss him. Yeah, I'm sure he misses you too. Yeah, he does. And yeah, okay, you know, I'll pray for you. You'll be together soon. Okay, thank you, and i would go my way. I didn't tell anyone about the divorce. It wasn't a story I thought anyone would believe, so I I kept it to myself. Um... The universe started shifting under my feet without me realizing it. She was shifting and she was cradling me in her lap and ah, don't get me wrong, I know this now, I didn't know this then. To then I was still happy in my rock bottom. I was taking shitty jobs, you know, paying shitty salaries. I was just living off breadcrumbs and I was just happy to be in this bad place. I was possibly the worst version of myself during this period. And when the time was right, I met shitty men with shitty stories. You know, when I thought I was ready. <laughs> and so, I, uh, shortly after I quit my job, I I was called for an interview for something I even forgot I applied. And it was an amazing job, one that allowed me to spread my wings, one that I loved, absolutely loved doing. It paid so well. It allowed me to... Uh, you know, to reach my limits. So, ah, I'm a bit comfortable now, (laughs) go on. And shortly after, I get a friend request on Facebook from this. So I'm checking out his profile and I'm thinking, hmm, he's cute. (laughs) And I mean, it goes months and we haven't spoke. Of course, I'm thinking, "Mm, you don't know me. and There's no way I'm saying hi first. So a few, um, a while later, I slid qua DM, and long story short, I met my soulmate on Facebook, and we got married on Skype. Oh. Yeah. it was a beautiful, colorful event. I mean, two families dressed up fully for weddings on two different continents. There was widescreen with a wide-angled camera, and there were caterers, and there was everything. It was phenomenal. I can't wait to tell our grandkids. (laughs) (laughs) But I had, with this new... I mean, I was still in a very bad place, remember that? And now, with this new move in my life, I was conflicted with a million new things, like a million new things came to revisit me again. My weight was still an issue. I still have, you know, difficulties conceiving. And, I mean, am I, is he going to leave me at some point because I can't? Is his family going to have an issue with me? Is his family going to, you know, pressure him into leaving me? It was one thing after another. And, you know, he didn't. And, no, they didn't. See, these demons that we create are self-manifestations of fears that are created by ourselves. And... I now started, I mean, I had just stopped crying. My late night cries for a baby. I just stopped. I was finally living a life for me. I was enjoying, I was taking it in. I decided I need to get that degree, the one that I couldn't. So I applied five universities. Three responded with an honorary degree and um, an application for master's. I decided I want to share my story and with the world, and here I am. And three days ago, I launched a platform called the Big Fat Talk Show. It's an online show that's supposed to empower, inspire, and give ladies, you know, a platform to discuss positive body image. And not very long from now, I'm supposed to be, uh, um, I'm working on something extremely extraordinary that's going to put Kenya and Africa on the map on the same. Not very long from now, again, supposed to be launching my, officializing my consultancy for human development and social training. And despite eight years of trying, we try every night to still have a baby. So fat, hippo, unwanted, bitchy, bossy. Fuck that. This is not a sob story. This is not a pity story. This is a hope story. When I turned 30, it was a phenomenal experience for me. I realized all that I had been through, I accepted it and I owned it. And then all the gray areas that tormented my life were no more. Everything was black and white. I either did or I didn't. You either were or you weren't. It either was or it wasn't. So in the words of Lao Tzu, when I let go of who I am, I become who I might be.